Hello and welcome back to Travel Day episode 15. Today we've got Iowa and Iowa State basketball and they played each other in the Cyhawk game so we'll definitely get into that. We're going to look at some uh, MLB free agent and trade uh, situations that are going on. It's a, it's a hot topic in the sports world right now. And uh, we'll look into uh, the AL East. We're going to do this thing. Uh, each episode, we're going to go division by division in the MLB, uh, look at free agency pickups and trades. And uh, AL East is our first one and some big, big names moving around there. So that's what we got for you today. No football talk really today. Not a whole lot going on in the football world besides a couple of transfer portal uh, announcements and then Army beating Navy last weekend. Yep. So. And when, as it goes for Iowa and Iowa State, no news is no good news. news. Exactly. Well, when things pop up, we'll relay that, and uh, uh, of course, when bowls get started, we'll we'll definitely dive into that. For now, let's dive into Iowa basketball up next. We welcome you back now to Iowa basketball. We're going to start with the women. We're going to, like I said, talk about that Cyhawk game uh, in a in a second segment, really, if you will together. So I'll start with, like I said, the women. Uh, only played the one other game since our last episode other than the Cyhawk game, and that was against Wisconsin yesterday with an 87-65 to victory for the Hawkeyes. We talked about this kind of when the game was going on. Clark had 28 points, and then she had almost no help from her starters in the point department, and a lot of help off the bench in Hannah Stolke. So yeah. I, I was kind of, and we talked about it a little bit too, how Stolke maybe should be in that starting five. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I feel like I feel like Marshall's not really giving you a whole lot on the floor. I mean, she's got she had two rebounds, four steals, which is pretty good. Yeah. To be fair, defensively she's there, which yeah. but I don't know if that warrants necessarily a starting role. No. What do you want like in basketball? What do you want from your starters or the five players that you can count on to go and get you most of your points throughout the game? And the bench people are there just to bring that spark off the bench. Maybe a person come in can hit a few threes or a backup big who can make some free throws, and make those tough shots under the paint. But it's looking like now Iowa's just rotations in general are just not what they should be or how they can be to make this team even better than what they are. I mean, you can't argue with, with the facts that they're 10-1. and one. They're winning They're winning games. Clark, again, with a huge yeah. game, 28. Her and Stolke combined for 49 of the 87 points. So, I mean, you can't – I mean – we we can sit here and 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 tell them how it's supposed to be all we want, but at the end of the day, they're winning they're winning yeah, games. It's so, like talk about Iowa football. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, dude. But uh, Stolke with twenty six minutes off the bench, which actually, I mean, you had Goodman with seven as a starter, seven minutes, and Molly Davis with uh, sixteen as a starter. And so I was looking, Davis does not shoot the ball well nope. at all. So it's almost um, like why is she even in the starting role? Only took one shot from the floor, one from beyond the arc. She was two for two in free throws. Um, that's where two points came from. But, uh, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of fantastic shooting. I mean, Clark looked better. She she looked better from beyond the arc, 4 for 8, um, 11 of 19 from the floor. So it was good to see her kind of in form there. Less shots from beyond the arc, which I think is honestly a good thing. That's what, yeah, she just needs so, to start taking I think if she takes less those, threes, but, like, better yeah, threes right, exactly. at that point. Right, exactly. Not but just more, chucking up shots. More quality, quality over quantity. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but uh, Hawkeyes get the win there, 87-65 for a Big Ten W, which is great to see. Uh, still ranked fourth in the nation as of right now. Moving on to the men's. Men's played two games other than the Cyhawks series since our last episode, and um, they didn't go well. None of these games went well. No, uh, for, they got for men. ran out of the building um, at Purdue. Yeah, first one at Purdue, uh, lost 87-68. I can't say that I'm super surprised by the outcome. I'm not either. However, 
you, you wanted a little bit more out of them for sure. It's a tough place to go play. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, Especially with a young team like that. Exactly. Purdue, obviously, they were, I think, number four by that point because they had just lost to Northwestern as a number mm-hmm. one. And Northwestern's a really good team, too. Yep. And uh, so they were upset that they had lost. So they were coming in with a little bit more vigor. And when you play at a home court for Purdue, it's it's not a, an easy game, especially when they're coming off of a loss. Um, so, you know, a lot of mistakes for this team. Um, they just don't look... They don't look cohesive at all. They don't no. look like they're in there's sync. Just, there's just no leadership. And that goes for all these games, all three of these games this week. They've looked, quite frankly, they look dreadful. They look yeah. awful. I mean, I, I told you multiple times, I think Iowa is the softest team I've seen in a long time. Yeah, a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of complaining from the refs, and that's even coming from an Iowa fan. I can't get behind that. I really can't. I think no. you just got to play the game. I mean, obviously, you're going to have times when the refs are bad. You, you can't let the refs' calls get in your head that affect your playing Right in the game, you just can't let that happen. Um, Sixteen points from Cricky in that game. He was the brightest spot. Perkins with twelve of his own as well. Bowen with three. Uh, Sanford, Peyton Sanford, that is, with nine, and then McCaffrey with eight. Yeah. You didn't have a whole lot of points off the bench. You had Owen Freeman with six. Uh, Price Sanford with five. Josh Dix with two, and then Harding with seven. So yeah. it, I would I mean, say Peyton well. has been, I would say, kind of disappointing to start. The he year. has been. Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah. I would say def- at least in these this week's of games. Because sure. like we said, he needed to be consistent, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he hasn't been consistent like he has been right. his first two years. Right. 38.5% from the floor in that game, 33% from beyond the arc, and only 70% free throw shooting. I, yeah. I don't love that either for one game. Like If that's no. overall, it's not, I guess, horrible, but you're going to need free throws. In a, to beat a team this good, you're going to have to make free throws, and 70% yeah. is a kind of low in my opinion and you're also have to play defense and that's one thing that's, doesn't do. they don't do that so um the other game this week uh just happened yesterday was against michigan that was at carver and uh, iowa drops that one 90 to 80 leaving them with a record of five and five on the yeah. year that, oh and that's two a, in that's conference. a bad home loss too <sighs> again didn't look good freeman got the start over bowen in this one he had five points is all cricky with 24 mccaffrey with 10 peyton sanford with 10 perkins with a 19 so i mean the scoring I mean, overall, on paper, it looks like it was there. But yeah. again, they're just, it seems like there's a lack of communication on offense and on defense. They look completely lost. They're not athletic enough to play in a man to man coverage at all. Yeah. Uh, and when they're in a zone, there's not enough communication between the guys to make it work. Yeah. It doesn't seem like so. It's a team that looks like they haven't played together, which is true. But you yeah. would think by this point, they would at least start to get comfortable. Exactly. Start to see strides, but you're not seeing those strides that you would want to see as an Iowa fan. There's a lot of aggression for sure. It doesn't seem like there's one clear leader on the floor either, Mm-mm. or any leaders really. I mean, you hear in the interviews that it's Perkins and Perkins is a leader, but I mean, I don't, I don't really, really see that. In it. I don't see no. that in the game. It might be off the floor. It might be true off the floor, but yeah. on the floor, it doesn't. It you, doesn't really seem like that's the case. You need that in-game guy that can chew some butt when things aren't going good. Exactly. He's not afraid to get in the guy's face mm-hmm. and tell him what he's doing wrong. And that's what Connor McCaffrey was for this team, and that's what Jordan mm-hmm. Bohannon was for this team. And yeah. obviously, with them not there anymore, it's. It's, someone's got to step up. Someone has yeah. to. You know, you can look at Cricky, but Cricky's obviously a transfer. It's harder for him to step yeah. into that role. It's harder for transfers to gain that respect right. as that as that leader. Exactly. Patrick McCaffrey doesn't seem like that outspoken of a guy. So. No, he's he's just too quiet. Yep. So I mean, forty three percent, almost forty four percent from the field in this game for the Hawkeyes. Twenty five percent from the three point range. Seventy six percent from the the line. So, I mean, ten turnovers doesn't look great either. Ten turnovers is actually not that bad. It's not bad, but I mean, I mean, he, he caused thirteen for Michigan, which is good. Yeah, the defense did seem to like 
I mean, you give up 90 points, so it doesn't really look like they did. Yeah. It doesn't I look great. I guess the real question is how many of those turnovers were dead ball turnovers. Right, and exactly. Not live ball. Exactly. So, I mean, Iowa's just going to have to figure something out. Something has to change in that locker room. They just they don't look like they want to be there, most of them, and it's it, it just doesn't doesn't resonate well with the fans for sure and um, for the university. So, I mean, we, we hope that they can definitely fly, at least I, I hope. I don't know about Nolan, I guess, but I hope they can figure no, it out. No, I hope they do too because for, with Iowa's – like we'll get into the Iowa game later, but Iowa State beat Iowa, and for Iowa State to get higher up than like true, yeah. the, Help the, you guys out. the computer rankings and all that mm-hmm. stuff, Iowa needs to get better and stay as that quad one win that Iowa State desperately needs right now. They've got Florida A and M on the 16th. That's five days from today. That's Friday at 3:30. Should be a win there, obviously, but who knows with this team? So that's all I've really got for Iowa. Like I said, disappointing on the men's side, women going strong so i can't complain too much there so yeah stick with us for iowa state basketball up next it's now time for iowa state basketball no one just tell me what you what you saw i'll start with the women here first the women played south dakota or north dakota state i should say on sunday really good looking win here they beat north dakota state 89 to 59 um, going in, a lot of people thought this might have been a game that had potential to be somewhat close yeah, and all that, but yep. being able to blow a team out like this is really important for this for this Iowa State team. Addie Brown with a near triple-double, her second double-double in back-to-back games, uh, 16 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. The big thing is no turnovers, mm-hmm. and that was the biggest thing going for Iowa State. Especially in that post position. Yes. Yep. Even overall, they just needed to limit their turnovers, and they would – stay in games and that's what kept him in that Iowa game too was not turning the ball over Audie Crooks with 13 and five rebounds uh Naimir Du with 12 points Bellinger with 15 um and then Bristow and Nadabu with 11 both with 11 off the bench for Iowa State both with seven rebounds as well this game was just a complete domination on both ends it's a good step forward for this young team right here Mm -hmm. going over to the men's side Iowa State played Prairie View Tough one there. Yeah, on Sunday and beat him 107 to 56. Munchilovich with 15 points on four or five shooting, eight rebounds. Rob Jones with six points and eight rebounds. Trey King only with seven, but he only did play 11 minutes. He did leave warmups early with some back tightness, mm-hmm. so that we just knew that was going to limit. Lipsy with 19, uh, five rebound or four rebounds, five assists, and a school record eight steals in this game. Geez, he was all over on the defensive end on Sunday, and it was really fun to see. I mean. I mean, Prairie View is a really bad team, but still eight steals <laughs> against anybody is really hard to do. Also true. Keyshawn Gilbert with 20 points, eight rebounds, and eight assists. Really good numbers there. The only concerning thing is he did have eight turnovers. Um, wow. His thing when it comes to turnovers is that he just gets, he just goes too fast. Yeah, out of control type of thing. Yeah. Yep. Pavaleski with nine off the bench, played 27 minutes. He is really going to be that spark guy off the bench for us, and he's going to he gives us that third ball handler now that we're confident in, and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of pressure off Curtis Jones, and it kind of showed. I mean, it really did show. Curtis Jones with 22 off the bench and six threes. That is what we've been wanting to see from him since he came here. He was he came in being the shooter. That was what he was known for coming out of Buffalo, and we just haven't been seeing it because he, I don't think he's looked confident in that role. Yeah. But now with Pavelski being out there, kind of taking the pressure off his shoulders, as well as also with Lipsy and Gilbert, who don't have to be the primary ball handler every time, it kind of just lets Jones go out there and do what he does. Omaha Blue, with 13 minutes off the bench, had nine points. Sweet. Getting him back in there. Yes. I think these next 
couple of weeks before Big 12 play is really going to be when you're start going to start to see Omaha Blue get in there more because it's going to give him those live reps. Yes, experienced everything. For those that question what is going on with Omaha, is he a bust? Is he all this type of stuff? No, he's not. He's just not ready for this type of system that Iowa State is playing. My mom's texted me eight times, I think, about Omaha. Yeah. What's wrong with him or what? Yeah, okay. He's just not ready. It's okay, guys. He's, yeah. he's alive. He's on the bench. Yeah. He's there. Don't worry. He's going to get in the game. It's not like he's at Duke to where he's just going to play because he's a five-star All-American, right? Exactly. Iowa State still wants to win games, and right now the position they want Omaha to play, he's just not quite ready for. Yep. And he's going to go to the NBA. He might leave this year. Hopefully not, but he's definitely going to go next year. Mm-hmm. I think he's a two-year max guy, and his position is going to be that wing wing guy in the NBA at cuz he's only 67. Yeah. But he's been playing post pretty much his whole life. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty he's learning a whole new position and it's going to take some time. So as Iowa State fans we just got to be patient. And <laughs> Omaha's going to be a big player for us down the stretch, I think. I think he's going to have some key defensive stops that are going to be remembered for some games and that lead us to victory. Stick with us for the Cyhawk recap for men's and women's basketball up next. And welcome back to Travel Day. We've got the Cyhawk basketball games. We're going to start with the women. Iowa pulls it out 67-58, and uh, i got to say, a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Yep, me too. I was it say, was a really fun game to it watch. It was. Actually. It was a great game, actually. And um, Back and forth until pretty much the final three minutes. Yeah, so close, in fact, that I was actually kind of worried we were going to drop this one. That would not, obviously, be a great loss for Iowa and their resume, for one, and for two, just for a pride thing, because <clears throat> especially after the, what happened to the men the next day. So... I'll start with uh, just the starters for the for the Hawkeyes. I mean, 35 points from Caitlin Clark. Out and, of she needed to, and she needed to score all 35 yeah. of those, too. <laughs> 67 points is unbelievable. But, I mean, I mean... She shot the ball. She shot half your field goals and yeah. half your threes. But I think we have yeah. to shout out Kate Martin. Kate Martin was there. She was, she she was, was the reason you guys won this she game. She was fundamentally there. She was 16 points. I mean... Three steals. Caitlin Clark gets all the glory, and as she yes. should, she gets a lot of it, which is great because she scores the most. Exactly, points. but Kate, but I mean, Kate Martin just played phenomenally this game, and um, like you said, the reason honestly that we won this game, uh, three steals from her, one block, just three turnovers, which Caitlin Clark also had three turnovers. So if you really want to get down to brass tacks there, but again, the sixteen points, she was there. She's a leader on that floor, and mm-hmm. she she's playing complimentary yeah. basketball, which is what you got to do with with a talent like Caitlin yeah. Clark. So and. When Iowa State would start to go on the, those runs to stay in the game, the person that would shut down those runs work was Kate Martin. Exactly. Just because of – yeah, she's a senior. And you can tell that her senior leadership really showed in this game too. And I think one of the biggest things is also is that this – I believe, if I remember correctly, this is the first game Stolke was back after an injury. And I yes, tell you. it was. They, she got injured um, in that tournament-type thing. They were in Invitational, whatever. And um, this is the first game she's back. So she only played 13 minutes. And so Kate Martin stepping up for a 28 minutes and putting up the numbers she did and, and playing the way she did was was huge in the absence of, of Stolke. And I think if she can pull that out with Stolke, obviously how I how we went over, again, that Wisconsin game, Stolke yeah. was all there. So if you can have three shooters there, you can have three players that are— Three scores. Exactly, putting can, up points. That you can trust to go out Whew. there and give you double digits a game. I mean, I mean it's going to be yeah. dangerous. Um, only 12 points off the bench in this game. Uh, seven from a Fulter and uh, five from Stolke there. So, I mean, a win's a win. We'll take it. A yeah. little bit low scoring maybe for an Iowa team that's used to putting up yeah. a lot more points in this. But, I mean, yeah. the defense found a way in the end. Mm-hmm. Overall, Iowa State played way better than I ever thought they would play. They looked really, really the, good. The freshmen stepped up big time. 
Jackson, the guard off the bench, came in and was really good guarding Caitlin Clark, even though she did score 35 points. But, I mean, whoever was guarding Clark was up in her grill, just being really oh, yeah. aggressive and they just trying to make her uncomfortable. Yep, and it, they made it, it worked at some points. But Addie Brown and uh, Addie Cooks, both with double-doubles in this game, 14 and 12 for Brown, 15 and 10 for Crooks. It just showed what this Iowa State team can do. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you think that this team is going to be together for the next four years and how much better they're going to get in those four years and how good this program can be in those four years. I think as, an, as a Cyclone fan, if you just think about how a couple of shots falling, especially in the three-point area, mm-hmm. I mean, they're five for 20 in this game in three-pointers. If you have two more of those shots fall, especially in those, yeah. those last a, three it's minutes. A, it's a three-point game. Oh, my goodness. And if they had Emily Ryan, who knows what could have happened. Exactly. So I was super impressed by Iowa State. Like I said, really good game, fun to watch. They just matched Iowa pretty much the whole game. Yep. I mean, they, they kept it close. I think they, they had the lead at half. They had the lead at the – it was tied at half, I think. And that's then right. Iowa State had the lead in the fourth quarter at the mm-hmm. under-four timeout. That's right. That's right. So I think they've definitely shown that they – can there's compete. a lot of potential with this yeah, group they can a lot compete. of potential are they going to be you know super super great this year maybe not but i think no. this is super awesome for the future of this program but i think the, the way they're able to play up to the moment this team could sneak its way into the tournament i think this year i think it'd be possible yeah and especially if they play like they did against iowa they're going to be a lot of big 12 teams for mm-hmm. sure so they could um, finish middle of the pack in the big 12, exactly which would be a really big step for this team exactly we're going to move on to men now, and this this one's a lot less fun for me. In the words of George Yang, everybody knows it's a Cyclone State. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's not. But anyway, 90-65 to 65 victory for the Cyclones. Like we said, Iowa just looked lost. We mentioned it earlier. They looked awful in this game. Just awful. Cricky with eight. McCaffrey with zero. Uh, 14 for Peyton Sanford, who was honestly the only bright spot, and that and was only that, in the first half. Yeah, he, he was the only reason half. why that first half score was closer. Yep. And, He's the um, only reason. It was, and you can't do that. You can't rely on one guy. Uh, Dix with five, getting a start. Perkins with six, eleven off the bench for Owen Freeman, and a lot uh, of free throws. Thirteen or, for Bowen. Yeah, which was interesting to see. A lot of free throws for Bowen. Bowen had yeah, seven. Seven. Freeman only had two, and he missed one of them. So, I think the big thing was to Iowa State's ability to turn Iowa over with live ball turnovers. Dude, the turnovers. Be able to go in transition. Oh my goodness, nineteen turnovers for Iowa. It was. It felt like they never could keep the ball in their hands no and it was and, super frustrating i mean iowa state's defense was the best perimeter defense i've seen oh, all yeah. year and the way i had to win was they had to have good perimeter defense because iowa can go on runs where they can make a lot of threes in a game but i mean the aggression they showed on defense not just from the guards but even the post players out in the perimeter yeah and all the constant switching i think really gave a lot of trouble to iowa and like i said earlier iowa was really soft down low and it's mm-hmm. and it showed i think Let's look at the points in the paint here. Points in the paint, Iowa State with 46, Iowa with 18. Yep. That's the difference right there. And, I mean, we knew that Iowa State was going to be tough down low defensively, and that perimeter defense was the question. And 8 for 26 for Iowa from beyond the arc. And if you're not going to – if Iowa right now, especially in a game like that, if Iowa can't shoot from beyond the arc very well, it's going to be a really, really long game for them, and it was here as Iowa State just just poured it on them, quite frankly. I got to mention, too, Rob Jones with 18 points. I think that's got to be a career high. Um, <laughs> six for six. He was six of 10 from the free throw line. That's a really good number for him. Um, Trey King was 17, eight for 11 from the field. But Keyshawn Gilbert, man, 25 points, eight of 16 shooting, three of three from the from three point line with five rebounds and six assists, three steals. 
That dude went on an 11-0 run by himself to start the second half. That would be the game that he gets really hot. It's awesome. So, well, hey, that. usually it happens to, happens to Iowa State that the other team's players get hot. But, I mean, <laughs> it's good to happen at this time. Well, stick with us as our MLB segment for the first one with uh, our free agency and trades from around the league is up next. We welcome you now to our MLB segment. This one, we're talking around the league, not just division by division quite yet. So, um, obviously, the biggest news from <laughs> from this week is Otani. Otani signing with the Dodgers for 10 years for $700 million with deferrals out the wazoo. And, I love to hear other fans say it. It's awesome. And uh, after the night before, there was a huge false report that he was going yeah. to the Blue Jays. So, just a lot of drama um, in this one. So I know you're happy as a Dodgers fan. Um, I'm really happy. The 700 number is really shocking to me. A lot of money. But like when you like listen to the reporters and listen to why it was 700 million, it starts to make a lot more sense. As the player itself, he's not worth 700 million. Correct. But as the person, the name Shohei Otani, he is probably worth more than 700 million in my mind. One of the most marketable human beings on the planet so i mean you tap into a whole nother country exactly exactly and um i mean they're obviously going to look for him to continue to pitch i think once he gets healthy yeah. there 2025 is when they're looking for him to be in the yep. rotation so his i mean but his bat alone is not worth 700 million but yeah. it's very I mean, very good i saw a thing it was like the breakdown between hitter and pitcher if you think about yep. it as a as a player with first 700 million his hitting side was probably 400 to 450 pitching was 250 to 300 somewhere in there so there's just uh, obviously, like I said, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of angry people, a lot of angry uh, fans, especially in the Blue Jays side, and I think just some that are angry with the media. I think it was John Morosi yeah. that kind of had that false report about the Blue Jays, which it can happen. But it I can think, happen. I just don't like that it took him six hours to say that. Yeah, he was wrong. it was. It wasn't good. It, it was not a good look. Especially at all. when it was debunked of this, his statements within 30 minutes of him posting exactly. That. And one of those other things that gets brought up a lot now is is the issue of cap space and cap room, and if there should be a cap limit on teams in the MLB. I don't think the Players Association would ever let that happen. I don't think they would either. However, I if they believe it's better for the game that way, they may do it, but it's going to be definitely hard to get the Players Association on board. If you're a fan of a lower market team, all these MLB owners, they're rich. They're billion dollars, probably net worth. Yeah. Don't be mad at teams when they go and spend money. Be mad at your own teams who decide not to spend money. It's all on your owners. That's the only reason why these teams can cannot continuously get good players is because they're not willing to spend that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the Rays. The past couple of years, they've been really good with homegrown talent. Yeah. But once the six years comes up, they can't afford that homegrown talent, so they go yep. somewhere else. That's true. Uh, and we'll get into that later with uh, maybe some rumors floating around of the Rays organization and trades. But... um. I don't know. I, I can see both sides of the cap space issue and the cap limit issue. It's just it's hard because you feel for those lower market teams, but at the same time, it's like if you want to be a big market team, then you, you have, have to, to invest money. it, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It's just it's just going to be hard for me to get on board yeah. with it fully. Hundred percent. And if you also want those good players, your team has to win. Also true. And that's why the good players always go to winning teams because they want to win. Exactly. Dodgers being in the playoffs however many years in a row now. uh, They've won the division 10 of the last 11 years. Exactly. I've been, I think, to the playoffs like 15 years in a row. Yep. It was just the perfect destination for Shohei, I think. And it stays in that LA-ish area as well. So the other trade that got overshadowed by this free agency news from Shohei was uh, 
Juan Soto going to the Yankees in a trade with the Padres. And um, that one, I don't know if it was necessarily shocking, but it was... Um, no, because the rumors for like the past two right, weeks leading right. up to where he was going to go to the Yankees. Yeah. They've been work, trying to work out a deal. I still think there's no winner to this trade yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I can see that. The only reason I can see that is because, in my mind, the only way there's a winner is if Soto gets extended. Agree. If he gets extended, the Yankees win the deal. If he doesn't get extended, the Padres win the deal. Yeah. And the Yankees lose everything. I just, this is going to be a very scary 2024 Yankees team. Obviously, they're not happy with how 2023 went, nor, nor should they be. They're a, yeah. they're a winning program, winning franchise. No reason they should have been that bad. No. But I think I mean, the, it was good to see them be that Oh, no, it was awesome. But I think the Padres, I mean, the Padres, you can say that, I don't think they really got fleeced here either, which is the biggest no, thing for them. they got Michael King, who's a really good reliever. Kyle Higgy-Sioka, yeah, he which can. is a pretty, pretty, he's a pretty reliable catcher. A good backup. Yep, a good exactly. Backup. Uh, they got right-handed pitcher Randy Vasquez and Johnny Brito and Drew Thorpe, all right-handed pitchers. Yeah. Not only that, but the Padres also send over Trent Grisham, which is also interesting. I think that's going to be— They lose their best outfielder at that point. They do. And that's and, weird. And I was kind of surprised to see a name attached with Juan Soto in that deal. Yeah. To be fair, I'm not really sure— I, don't know. I think that had to do with the Yankees' end because I think they did, weren't worthy of giving up one of these prospects right. without getting another player in return. Maybe, and I mean Trent Gershom is a good—I mean he's a good player. He's not a bad player. He's a good outfielder, he's very good a, defensive he's, he's player. He's a real—he's an elite outfielder. Yeah, he's a below-average hitter. I would agree with that. But you know, and and one of the biggest things is I think Juan Soto is going to have a field day in Yankee Stadium. Uh, he hits a lot of line drives hard to the pull side, yeah. and not all of them have the launch angle to get out at certain stadiums, but mm-hmm. if he's playing half of his games at Yankee Stadium with a short porch and right, and honestly not that tall of a fence, yeah. I think he's going to have a really I easy time. I just wonder how, how much that's actually going to go to affect his approach. Cause I don't think he, it will. Because when he's really good is when he's going the other way. I agree. And, I mean, that's why like Aaron Judge succeeds. He's mm-hmm. a right-handed hitter, and right-handed, right-handed hitters succeed better in Yankee Stadium because – Oh, he can get beat on the ball, but he can still hit it 316 feet and it's a home run. I I don't th- I think Juan Soto knows his identity well enough that he's not going to change anything. It's just going to let he's just going to let it happen. So I think this is obviously a huge thing for the Yankees. Yeah. But again, don't think the Padres didn't get anything. I think they they actually kind of won in their own way. Mm-hmm. They can make this interesting in their bullpen. But I mean, oh, a big name like Juan Soto is going to be hard to fill. Yeah. So, but I mean, San Diego did want to get rid of some salary to get under the yep. 200. Yep cap for the luxury tax and they got everything out of they got everything out of this trade that they wanted mm-hmm. and stick with us as we're going to jump into the al east for the first of our six division series for their free agency and trades coming up next and we're back with our al east free agency and trade segment so we just talked about soto going to the yankees yankees not the only thing they did this uh past week they also made a trade with the red Sox for alex verdugo another outfielder that was a very surprising trade it was especially for a it, rebuilding red Sox to get right rid of a young player like that to a rival division you know what i mean like yeah team uh the yankees do away with greg weissert weissert uh richard fitz and nicholas judas all right-handed pitchers so i mean I guess the Red Sox are trying to build their pitching core. I don't really I guess, know. but I mean, giving getting rid of probably your best player on that team, I think, or an argument to be the best player, it's it's really weird to see a move like this. I would agree. I mean, it's just I don't know. I I don't love it for them. I really don't. I don't. They had a hor- They didn't have a great year last year, obviously. No. And I think Verdugo was one of your bright spots, and it's yeah. like 
I mean, the dude hit I think two seventy or something. And you're you're dealing him away for a bunch of for right-handed three pitchers, pitchers that nobody's I've ever never heard of. of. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just, you can easily say that the Red Sox lost this trade and the Yankees won this trade. Remains to be seen. Maybe something crazy happens. Maybe one of these guys is a Cy Young candidate. I yeah. don't know, but yeah. maybe one of these is like the next Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer. <laughs> Who knows? But it just. Yeah. On on the surface, doesn't seem that way at all. Yeah. So um, we continue to talk about the Red Sox. Well, Yankees also made another trade today. They did. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Of course, I mean, with the Dodgers. This um, is a good trade for both teams. Yes. The Dodgers traded left-handed pitcher Victor Gonzalez and second baseman prospect Yorbit Vivas for the to the Yankees for shortstop prospect Trey Sweeney. Um, this trade was done by the Dodgers just to free up two forty-man spots on yep. the roster yep. for yep. Shohei and Joe Kelly. Mm-hmm. And if you can take a team's eighth best prospect, where you need shortstop death, I think this is a win-win for both teams. They just get yeah, they get the eighth best out of uh, I, I looked, out of a necessity trade. Really, yeah. Trey Sweeney went from the eighth. This is how good the Dodgers farm system is, by the way. Trey Sweeney went from the eighth best prospect on the Yankees, I think, to either the tenth or the twelfth on the Dodgers. Jeez. So he dropped down. Yeah. Quite a bit on mm-hmm. the prospect rankings. We get more into the the Red Sox now, as we mentioned with the the Verdugo trade. The Cardinals and the Red Sox make a trade as well. Cardinals sending Tyler O'Neill to the Red Sox for right-handed pitcher Nick Robertson and Victor Santos. Santos, a uh, minor leaguer. Robertson spent uh, time in Boston and with the Dodgers last year. Wasn't good. Wasn't good with the Dodgers. His a lot better. He was a lot better with the Red Sox. Was I did he? see splits, yes. Okay. So his fastball velo was up. His hard hit percentage was down. And so on and so forth. So I think the the Cardinals are definitely looking. Obviously, you need they we knew they needed bullpen help mm-hmm. um, as much as they did starting pitching. Um, they've went out, made some some additions in the starting pitching. You can argue all the live long day if it's any good or not. But I do think that this will be a a pretty decent trade for the Cardinals. You, you had mm-hmm. a backlog in the outfielding department for sure. O'Neill yeah. was injury prone, yeah. hadn't played a whole lot in the last two and years. I think if he can stay healthy, he'll I be really good for the Red really Sox. Good for the 100%, 100%. 100%. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And I, I, live, I wish him the best. I really I like O'Neal a lot. He's a good dude. He's had a lot of great moments with the Cardinals. But I, I, I agree with the decision to part ways just purely because of that outfield backlog and the fact that we've got Jordan Walker out there, a young guy. Um, we got Edmund that might be playing outfield a lot this year as a utility guy. So I'm okay with this trade. I think Nick Robertson, like I said, has a lot of upside. And I think for from a Cardinals standpoint, we it was a good trade. I think it was a decent trade. And mm-hmm. I think Mo, uh, John Mosellock, made a, made a good decision here. Yeah. Nothing too concerning about this trade at all. Just one of those trades you probably didn't expect to see, but when you look into it, it makes a lot of sense. I knew they were going to deal O'Neill somewhere. The Red Sox was an interesting one. Didn't really think. I mean, because you don't. Maybe that's why they traded Verdugo, because maybe they wanted O'Neill. Oh, yeah, 100%. Verdugo. I don't know if they wanted necessarily O'Neill over Verdugo, but I think when they made that trade, they knew they needed another outfielder. They went and got O'Neill for sure, yeah. because they knew the Cardinals were shopping him. We're going to move on to the next team now. This is the Orioles. Orioles on December 6th signed free agent Craig Kimbrell. Boosting that uh, uh, bullpen, and, especially uh, when Felix Batista just had Tommy John, and yep. he's going to be out yep. for this year. They but, needed that back end guy, and now I guess Kimbrel gets to be the closer that he wants to be on this team. He's going to be, I think. Well, I shouldn't say that. Will he be good? I don't. I think don't. He will. I don't know. I don't know. He's going back to the AL East, where he spent a lot of time with the Red Sox, obviously. But like you said. That closing role, he hasn't necessarily been the best in that recently. And obviously, I think when Bautista... And, I, and I've seen it front and center, too, when he was right. on the Dodgers. Very <laughs> true. When he came in, you just... You're like, oh, He was no. either 50-50. Like, you had very <laughs> little confidence. Unlike in the past, when you had Kenley Jansen, you'd be like, oh, 85% he can save. I have right. confidence. But, like, 50-50 is not very good. I think that when Bautista comes back, if Kimberl is still with the O's at this point, obviously, they will 
they will obviously bump him down to a, a, a they either late bump release. him down or they use him as trade bait. I would say more trade bait is what I would assume yeah. would happen, but you never know. Obviously, we know that uh, the Cardinals also got Kyle Gibson in that trade or that sorry that free agency, so the Orioles lose him as well. But uh, other than that, not a whole lot going on for the O's right now. Um, could I see um, them making more trades? I think the biggest thing is extension, and I think you yeah, have some um, thoughts on that. So what I think the Orioles need to do to keep the success is that I think they need to pull Braves. They need to sign their young guys now, extend them for that 10-year contract, pay the $20 million a year now to where it might go up to $35 million a year when these stars may become the stars that everyone thinks they can be. If you can get these guys locked down for 10 years, your core is tight. I mean, they're not going anywhere. Right. And, I mean, look what the Braves are doing. They get a, they bring a guy up, he has good success, they extend him, and he continues to have the success, and they keep, and they're still a good team year in and year out. So I think if the Orioles just follow that same game plan the Braves are, I think they will be. I think they might have a chance to run the ALEs for quite a long time. I would agree. And uh, speaking of keeping a core together, I think we've got to look at the Blue Jays. Blue Jays, again, haven't done a whole lot after that Otani situation especially. Um, definitely looking to pick up some, some, some free agents for sure. However, I think that core of Vladdy and Bichette and um, mm-hmm. maybe even Chapman, you could argue. Maybe Do they, I think Cha- they have to re-sign him. Yeah. But I think you could put him in that core that core group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's their biggest play right now. Obviously, like I said, sign some free agents, bolster what you need to bolster. I don't, yeah. I don't know the Blue Jays I think all with, that well, but uh, no, Otani. Everyone was going after Otani, but I think the big reason that they wanted Otani was his pitching because yep. they don't have that starting rotation that can go and win a win a World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, Barrios is he's a good good starting pitcher Manoa had a horrible horrible year. year got sent down all the way down back down to rookie ball. I could see them trading him away I could I don't know who's gonna want him someone will take a chance on him I'll put money on that if yeah. they if they wanted to trade for him they'll be like ah we can take a chance I've on seen him. things where the Dodgers might trade for him I'm like ah, I don't even for know. Manoa why Not well I mean because I mean the Dodgers lately have been able to turn pitchers around yeah I guess but that'd be a huge project but he still also has four years of team control so I don't yeah. think the Blue Jays are going to get rid of him quite yet yeah also true our last team in the AL East is the Rays. Rays have done absolutely nothing so far other than some teams. So, I mean, we had Beth and Court claimed off waivers by the Guardians, but that was about it. That was early November. A lot of rumors. I don't know if rumors is the word, but uh, um, gossip swirling around on. I know Glasnow. Glasnow is probably going to be shopped. It's probably going to be shopped. I've heard things of Randy Arena being shopped. Which is an interesting one for me. I don't know about that one. So it sounds like either the Rays have a decision to make. Are they going to rebuild? And build through their farm system again, right? Right. Or are they going to try and compete for a World Series again? Mm-hmm. I think Glasnow will definitely go somewhere. I think NL Central teams are obviously looking at him pretty hard. I think he. I think the Cubs would be a good spot I, for him. I would love it if the Cubs did not get him. That'd be great. <laughs> Cardinals could trade. Cardinals. They need starting pitching. He has been in the talk with uh, winter meetings for the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, as the Cubs, as you mentioned. So, I think um, it'll be a really interesting. Pirates development. can make a move. Pirates eh. um, could see the Reds bring him the back. Red, bring him back to Pittsburgh. The Reds already made a, I think, a starting pitching signing. Did so, they? Uh, I don't remember. I don't know. I Reds. know they made a signing, and I don't know if it was starting pitching or not. Oh yeah, you're right. I don't know if it was starting though. I do remember that now. That you say that they signed Nick Martinez, a reliever. Okay, so they signed a reliever. Okay, so I mean, but I could see honestly, to be honest with you, all the NL Central teams could use starting pitching. It was a horrible division last all year. All the NL Central teams could use anything at this point. They were a horrible division last year. It's a division of rebuilds. Right, That's all that is. So <laughs> we, you know, you know. both leagues, both yeah, both Centrals, AL and NL were awful. So I could see any of these teams kind of making a push for him. I don't. I, I would say it'd probably be somewhere in the NL Central that he would go. 
I don't know yeah. if necessarily he'll go within the division in the AL East. I think that'd be a huge trade. And I, I mean, I bring back up the Dodgers again too, but the Dodgers need starting pitching. And Dodgers, they I think have, they'll they go have after the ability Burns. to go after anybody. Yeah, they're going to go after Burns and Cease. I think so. I don't. Think I think they could have a chance to get both and still sign. I don't think they'll get both. No, 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 no. They're not going to get that. No, no shot. I hope. Anyway, that's going to be it for us here on Travel Day. Again, no trivia because. We just don't have any topics, but we will get back to it eventually, we promise you. Please, if you have ideas, let me know. Shoot us a, a DM on Twitter, slash X, you know, comment on our SoundCloud. Find my email. I don't care. Email me. Vanjax at bvu.edu. I don't care. That's fine with me. Email me an idea because, man, we are we are struggling over here. Maybe you can find his phone number and call him or something. In the I'm not going to put that out on the airwaves. But anyway, we thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Travel Day Episode 15. I'm Jackson Van Pelt with Nolan Faber. Goodbye.